0: Have you ever heard this phrase, for these cities before? Has that maybe popped up once or twice, Uh, yeah, you may have just heard it. You know, if you've been around BCC longer than probably five seconds, you've heard this, you've seen this, but have you ever really wondered, like, what do we really mean when we say that? Like, what do we think about, because naturally, it leads one to think about outreach, it leads a person to think about evangelism, and all that's true. But it is very, very, very much more than just those things because we need to understand that Jesus is for these cities. So what does it mean and how can we live this out? So what I'd like for us to do today is go to the book of Nehemiah. So if you have your Bible, go ahead and go there. And we're going to explore this story today and kind of walk through some of the high points of the story of Nehemiah just to give you a little cultural context here. Nehemiah was a cupbearer to King Artaxerxes, who was the uh, Persian king. And the Israelites had been in Babylonian captivity. They had been released, and uh, now um, they're being allowed to return to Jerusalem. And when they get there, they see that Jerusalem is just in shambles, that it's just been burned, destroyed, precious sites to them, important holy sites to them. These things are just in ruin, and so there's this effort to go and to rebuild these cities. And so Nehemiah, he uh, goes back to the king after he sees this, and he comes and he has a conversation with him, and he really risks a lot and gets really bold and makes some bold requests if he can go back and take some folks with him and actually leave his position as the cupbearer to the king and actually go in to rebuild the city. And this is a big deal. I mean, um, you don't want to lose your cupbearer. Well, I mean you do if you know they're doing their job and someone's trying to kill you uh, you do want to lose your cupbearer because what his job was to eat the food and taste the drink uh, before the king did to make sure it wasn't poison so you know I mean if he uh, if he dies that means that uh, he was doing his job uh, so in <laughs> that way it's like good job thanks for protecting the king but at the same time this is someone that the king really trusts this is a high position of trust to have someone at this level and so you're losing someone who's really important to you if they're going out and they're doing this and so uh, why don't we start reading over in Nehemiah chapter one if you have your Bible there already and we're going to kind of just jump around Nehemiah Nehemiah chapter one verse one says the words of Nehemiah the son of Hekeliah now it happened in the month of Chislev in the twelfth year as I was in Susa in the citadel that Hanai, one of my brothers, came with certain men from Judah, and I asked them concerning the Jews who escaped, who had survived the exile, and concerning Jerusalem. And they said to me, The remnant there in the province who had survived the exile is in great trouble and shame. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down, and its gates were destroyed by fire. And so then, in this next text, we have Nehemiah's prayer, because as soon as he heard this in verse 4, he, he, he heard about this. He sat down. He wept. He mourned for days. And he fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. And he just began to pray as his heart was burdened. So, as he hears about the condition of the city that he's longed to return to, as he hears about the place that, you know, uh, he, he's, he's grown up hearing all of these things about Jerusalem. And now he hears it's just completely destroyed. He has a burden. God burst this thing in him. And he has this uh, overwhelming burden for the city. And I really think that that's where it starts. That's where it starts is this idea of having a burden for the city. And we have to have a burden to pray. We have to have a burden to pray. This is essential if we are going to be for these cities. And so Nehemiah repented. He asked For God to intervene, and he depended on God for success and seeing the city restored for the glory of God. It starts with that burden. Sometimes, men, don't you uh, feel this way that, you know, it seems if you grew up a certain place or you grew up in a certain town or in a certain region of the world, some of you Iowa natives or some of you Illinois natives or you Quad City natives, it seems like when you're a kid and you grow up, a lot of you are like, everything is better away from here. Because you just want to go somewhere else. And then people from the outside talk about, oh, it's so great. And you're like, oh, there's nothing to do here. I hear that from people all the time. I'm like, you are nuts. If you think there's nothing to do in Quad Cities. I, I love Quad Cities. But I think that a lot of times if you're, if you're grown up somewhere, you're familiar to it, you can miss a lot of things because you're just so used to seeing those things. You're used to being in those rhythms. Uh, things just be- kind of become normal to you. And sometimes it takes that outside perspective, the fresh eyes to stir something in you to help you see something that perhaps maybe you didn't see before. And God uses those things all the time in our lives. And I think that it's really important for us to recognize um, that for us to have a burden for these cities, we have to look at our cities through the eyes and through the lens of the heart of God. We have to look at our cities through the eyes, through the lens of exactly how God sees the cities. Because I know it's not about buildings, it's not about lands, it's not about, you know, city governments and all those things. What it really ultimately is about is the people. And it's the people that live in those cities, the people that inhabit those cities. But for us to be able to reach those people, man, we have to start seeing them differently. We have to start seeing them through the heart of God. And when we see them, all of a sudden people maybe we've seen and worked with maybe for years... Maybe people that we've interacted with, people that have lived in our neighborhoods, people that maybe if you're a student that you've gone to school with. All of a sudden now you begin to see those people differently than when you saw them before. And prayer is what cultivates that type of care in your heart. That's really where it starts. If we are going to have a burden, if we are going to care for these cities, what it means is it has to start with prayer. It absolutely has to start with prayer. That's one of the main reasons That we've been focusing on trying to create these opportunities to go and prayer walk together. Or that we've created these opportunities for us to pray together on Mondays. And we certainly encourage people just to pray throughout um, their week and to have that healthy prayer rhythm in their life. But when we begin to pray for these cities, I'll tell you what. God begins to do something in our hearts. He expands the borders, the boundaries of our heart. And all of a sudden, we begin to care about things we didn't care about before. We begin to see things we didn't see before. And when all of a sudden Nehemiah hears this news, the first thing he wants to do is he wants to go and pray. He wants to talk to God about this, because now this burden is being formed and, 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 and growing in him, and he's caring about something in a different way than what he cared about it before. So let's jump over to Nehemiah chapter 2, and let's read The first eight verses here says in the month of Nisan in the uh, 20th year of King Artaxerxes, when wine was before him, I took up the wine and gave it to the king. Now I had not been sad in his presence. Verse two, the king said to me, why is your face sad seeing that you're not sick? This is nothing but sadness of the heart. Then I was very much afraid. And I said to the king, uh, let the king live forever. <laughs> Why should not my face be sad when the city, the place of my father's graves, lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire? Then the king said to me, What are you requesting? So I prayed to the God in heaven, and I said to the king, If it pleases the king, and if your servant has found favor in your sight, that you may send me to Judah to the city of my father's graves, that I may rebuild it. And the king said to me, the queen sitting beside him, How long will you be gone? When will you return? So it pleased the king to send me when I had given him a time. And I said to the king, if it pleases the king, let letters be given to me to the governors of the province beyond the river, that they may let me pass through until I come to Judah. A letter to Asaph, the keeper of the king's forest, that he may give me timber to make beams for the gates of the fortress of the temple and for the wall of the city and for the house that I shall occupy. And the king granted me what I was asked for the good hand of God was upon me isn't this interesting now we see this like thing kind of progress with nehemiah at first he starts off he's praying he's burdened and now this burden it leads to boldness it leads to a request it leads to now all of a sudden god is putting him in this position that he just thought this has been my normal rhythm this has been my normal life this has just been me doing my job i have been the cupbearer ...for the king, and now all of a sudden God is using my position, using my relationship with the king... ...even using the way that I normally behave in front of the king. God is using all those things now to put, the, put me in a position where the king now recognizes. What's going on, Nehemiah? And Nehemiah has the boldness and the favor of the king to be able to ask and request some pretty audacious things. He's basically saying, hey, can I stop doing my job which is a highly trusted, highly requested job, uh, uh, something that, I mean, you, you don't want you know uh, this guy to stop doing this. He's like, when are you going to leave? When are you, you going to return? He wants him back. He wants him to come back. And he makes this request, and all of a sudden he finds favor um, in the eyes of the king. He was grieved for what was lost. And because of that grief that he was carrying, the king noticed there's something different. Like, what's going on? What's this burden that you carry? And church, when it comes to being for these cities, yes, we need to pray. And yes, God will increase the burden and the care as we begin to look at people through the lens of eternity. But also, man, there needs to be this increasing care, this increasing burden, and this grieving over what has been lost. It needs to motivate us to want to do something about it. Because it's one thing for us to just care about people in the sense of oh i feel bad it's one thing for us to just go oh man i wish i could you know do something about that or oh i wish the quad cities weren't wasn't this way or i wish this region region wasn't this way but nehemiah he's motivated to do something about it and god uses him in the context of where he naturally is and that's the thing i want us to understand is that god uses people in the context of where they naturally are for his glory and for the the evangelism of the gospel to make disciples to be salt to be light right where you're at so a lot of people think that what they do isn't maybe that important a lot of people think that maybe their jobs or their neighborhoods or their relationships they just think it's them just going out uh, the natural rhythms of the day But if we begin to look at it through the lens of eternity, as God increases our burden, as God begins to help increase our care, make us more aware of the things around us, all of a sudden we begin to look at those things differently and see opportunities where maybe perhaps before we didn't see opportunities, and God opens doors, and God begins to connect us and give us favor with different people, and all of a sudden things begin to happen, but we have to look at those things through the lens of eternity. And then we ask God for supernatural boldness and favor with people for his glory. We're saying, God, I, I, I'm, I'm in this position. I want to be used for your glory, so I need boldness. We just talked about the Holy Spirit last week. We talked about the need to deepen our dependence on God through prayer. And we talked about trusting in the spirit of God in us that's emboldening us, empowering us to do the things that he's called us to do. And in that same way, we must ask for that boldness, especially in those situations when I become aware of something. Maybe all of a sudden I realize maybe God's planted me in this particular area to be salt, to be light. Maybe that's why I work here. Because a lot of times we have this thought that if i work in an environment that is not very christian friendly we think the solution is to maybe go work in an environment maybe that is christ friendly i'm the only christian at work and we'll say that like feeling sorry for ourselves i'm the only christian at work maybe that's a good thing because maybe god wants to use that for his glory and maybe the answer is not you just pursuing comfort and trying to be comfortable But maybe this idea of being for these cities and for the people that God has called us to is that you begin to look at those things differently. You begin to look at those relationships differently. Wouldn't it be great if everybody just went to Christian everything? We ate at Christian uh, you know, restaurants, and we went to Christian schools, and we had Christian jobs with nothing but Christians, and we're just all around Christians all day long. We wear Christian clothes and Christian jewelry. We drive Christian cars. We play Christian games and Christian sports, and all we do is Christian, Christian, Christian. That's great, but can I tell you, In the middle of all of those things, there are still people that are lost. And we must be aware that it's not about us just seeking out comfort and being comfortable. Now, there's nothing wrong with things that are Christian. Understand that. But at the same time, maybe, maybe God has placed you in an area that could be an opportunity for you if you just began to see it differently. I remember this story that was shared with me by a guy that, uh, I went to this conference and he was the speaker and he shared this story about how he was in a place in his life where he didn't understand why he wasn't getting the ministry opportunities that he, was get, that he wanted. He was really uh, hoping to be a pastor. He felt God had put that on his heart, made it very clear. He thought, I'm supposed to be a pastor. And all of the doors... That it seemed like for him to pursue being a pastor of a church just began to close. It's like he kept getting told no here, told no there. And and he thought, man, what is going on? I know God has called me to be a pastor. And then in, in his pursuit of looking for a job, there was a management opportunity that he got to be the manager of Taco Bell. And he's sitting here thinking, I'm the manager of Taco Bell. And he said, I was angry at God as the manager of Taco Bell. He said, I was so angry he said because i was like god i'm not supposed to be working at taco bell managing these people i'm supposed to be a pastor and he said he began to pray and he began to just be you know just broken over this frustrated with this angry towards god he said and god hit me like a ton of bricks in one of my times of prayer he said and god said what business of yours is it if i call you to pastor taco bell it's like boom he said it hit him like a ton of bricks we always think so linear with certain things, and God is saying, where are you at? What are the, wh- where's the opportunities around you, where you're at? There's a burden that Nehemiah had. Nehemiah had an opportunity. He had been in a position, probably not understanding it for years. It said that on the 20th year of Artaxerxes reign, so, so could it be that Nehemiah had been in this position for that long? Could it have been He's been doing this. He's been eating the king's food, drinking the king's wine for 20 years, hoping that nobody poisons the king. Like, that's a stressful job. I don't think any of us have that kind of job. That's stress. Because I look at eating and drinking as fun. It's entertainment. Nehemiah goes, this could be my last day at work. You know, like, literally every meal. Somebody's like, the king wants a snack. And Nehemiah's like, no. No. Is that, you know, are those the chips ahoy that get like, you know, poisoned or whatever? And here Nehemiah had been doing this very stressful job for a long time, earned the trust of the king, and God uses the natural position he was already in to put him in front of the king to be able to help him to go and to do what he needed to do to rebuild the city. Isn't that amazing how God used something that was normal Nehemiah this wasn't like some 20 year strategy Nehemiah had come up with this was him being in the place he needed to be at the time he needed to be and God showed him you were in this position for a reason and maybe you don't understand it right now I'm sure there's a lot of times Nehemiah didn't understand it Sure, there's a lot of times that you go this isn't this isn't fair we like that word fair this isn't fair why am I having to do this when I feel like I'm called to do something else Maybe like my friend who said, I feel called to be a pastor. And maybe God is wanting to reframe what you're doing and reshape how you see where you're at and reshape and reframe the relationships around you, the interactions around you, and you begin to see them differently when you begin to pray and you begin to have a burden for the people of the cities. This is what it means to be for these cities. Yes, it means evangelism. Yes, it means outreach. Yes, it means organized things that we put together. Yes, it means all those things that we've done. But do not limit the definition of when you see or hear or say for these cities, for all people. What we're saying is that this is, this is a heartbeat of heaven that is infused into our everyday lives. Stay-at-home parents. Those of you who get the opportunity to maybe stay at home when your kids are little, raising kids, helping uh, to keep the, the, the house in order and things like that. Don't look at your role as any less important. Because you have an opportunity with the time that you have, with the influence that you have with your kids. You have opportunity with the friendships that you have. There are so many things that God is using. Do not take the opportunity to look at your role as somehow less significant. Those of you who have jobs where maybe you don't interact with people very much and maybe you kind of like it that way anyways, (laughs) don't look at that job as insignificant when it comes to the kingdom of God because you never know how God may want you to see that thing just a little differently than how you've been looking at it before. Some of you think, oh, because I don't have influence over a lot of people, I'm not a teacher or I'm not a a boss or a manager in charge of other people. Somehow we think of ourselves as less. Or maybe you have headphones in all day or maybe you have some sort of ear protection on all day and you're just working somewhere by yourself. There's still ways God can use where he's put you for his glory. And you need to begin to pray. That's where it starts. Begin to pray. And begin to have that burden increase and see what God does in you and through that. Because we ask for supernatural boldness and favor with people for his glory. There are times in life where God will open up doors in front of you. And there will be opportunities to minister to people for his glory. And we don't know when those times are going to come to us. We don't know when those times are going to happen in our lives. Some things we can see obviously around us, maybe you already have someone on your mind that you think about, man, I need to minister to this person and that person, but there will be opportunities that God will present in front of you that you weren't looking for, that you weren't even asking for, that you weren't 100% ready for, but when it happens, you'll know God has put me in this place, and if you've been praying, if you've been growing and having that heart, all of a sudden, you will see things differently, and you'll be able to say yes to that opportunity. You'll be able to step out on faith and encourage trusting the Holy Spirit to give you the words to say. I remember we were just in our small group just a few weeks ago, and my wife and I, we lead a young adult small group. And um, one of the uh, young ladies in the group, she had shared how um, she and some friends were walking just to go get coffee. And she said, we were going to go get coffee, and on the way there, we saw this guy. We assumed he was homeless in Davenport. And the guy came up and started talking to us, and we were kind of like, yeah, what's going on? And as they began to talk to him, this one young uh, woman, she said, all of a sudden, she said, something just came over me. She said, I don't know what it was. She said, but I just started saying a bunch of stuff to this guy and connecting with him and found out he was struggling with um, his mother's health and all these things. And she had just recently lost her mother. And she began to unpack this story and share all this stuff with him. They began to pray for him. They connected with him. They were ministering, being salt and light. And they were just on the way to get coffee. And, and, and I loved what she said in group. This is, this is my favorite thing that she said in the whole story. She said, the stuff I started to say, I was like, I don't know. She's like, is that like the Holy Spirit? Is that like how that works? Is that like, she said, I felt like these God words. That was how she described it. She said, I felt like these God words. And I loved that because she's leaning into the Holy Spirit on the inside of her. And she didn't even necessarily be able to articulate exactly what was going on. But to her best description, she was like, I felt like I was just filled with these these God words. And I felt like I was, all, and all she had to do in that moment was just be obedient and let the Holy Spirit use her. And then they began to minister to this person. And she wanted to share that because she said, I, I wasn't going there looking for that. But in those moments, are we ready? Are we looking? This is how we are for these cities. Because when we obey God and when we follow his plan, that is when we are for these cities. And I'll tell you this. When you start to see these types of things happening and you start to hear these types of stories, man, they're great stories. I love hearing these stories, but we are not ignorant of the enemy's devices. Expect opposition. And Nehemiah was no different. There was opposition. You would think, oh, everybody would be so excited to see the walls of the city rebuilt. Oh, you think everyone would be jazzed about that. Well, one would think. One would think that when God's doing something great, the people would just all rejoice and be super pumped about it. You would think so, but man, just like in our day, when we start doing things for the Lord, when we start seeing the darkness being pushed back, when we start being salt and light, expect opposition. In other words, don't be surprised when the enemy rears his ugly head. Let's look over in Nehemiah chapter 2 and let's pick it up in uh, verse 17 says, so I said to them, you see the trouble we're in now, how Jerusalem lies in ruins with its gates burned. Come, let us build the wall of Jerusalem that we may no longer suffer um, derision. And I told them the hand of God had been upon me for good. And also the words of the king that he had spoken to me. And they said, let's rise up and let's build. So they strengthened their hands for good work. Everybody's excited, but then what? Sanballat, the Horonite, and Tobiah, the Ammonite, servant of Geshem, the Arab, heard of it. They jeered at us and despised us and said, What is this thing that you are doing? Are you rebelling against the king? Then I replied to them, The God of heaven will make us prosper, and we as servants will arise and rebuild, but you have no portion or right or claim in Jerusalem. All of the sudden, these guys are saying, We're going to go do this great thing for the glory of God. We want to see this thing restored. We have a heart to go rebuild this city. We have a heart to go out and do this. And God's given us supernatural favor with the king. you think everybody would be like, oh, it's obvious the hand of God's on this thing. And then you have a couple people. (sighs) What do you think you're doing? Are you rebelling against the king? They're already getting accused of rebellion against the king. They're getting accused of it. They're looking for any way they can to criticize them, to discourage them, to make threats against them. Go all the way over to Nehemiah chapter 5, and let's read this, because the opposition gets more and more heated. It it starts off with them just maybe throwing some insults, throwing some accusations, but it ramps up the more they keep doing what it is that God had led them to do in restoring the walls around Jerusalem. Verse 1, chapter 5, verse 1. Says there arose a great outcry of the people and their wives against the Jewish brothers. For there were those who said, With our sons and daughters, we are many, so let us get grain that we may eat and keep alive. Then there were those who said, We are mortgaging our fields, our vineyards, and our houses to get grain because of famine. And there were those who said, we have borrowed money for the king's tax on our fields and our vineyards. Now our flesh is of the flesh of our brothers, our children as their children. Yet we are forcing our sons and our daughters to be slaves. And some of our daughters have already been enslaved, but it's not in our power to help it. For our men uh, have our fields and our vineyards. And I was very angry when I heard their outcry and these words. And I took counsel with myself and I brought charges against the nobles and the officials and i said to them you are exacting interest each from his brother and i held a great assembly against them and i said to them we as far as we are able have bought back our jewish brothers we have been sold to the nations but you sell your brothers that they may be sold to us and they were silent they could not find a word to say so i said the thing that you are doing is not good Ought you not walk in fear of our God to prevent the taunts of the nations of our enemies? Moreover, I and my brothers and my servants are lending them money and grain. Let us abandon this exacting of interest. Return to them this very day their fields, their vineyards, their olive orchards, their houses, and the percentage of money, grain, wine, and oil that you've been exacting from them. And they said, we will restore these and require nothing from them. We will do what you say. And I called the priests, and I made them swear to do as they had promised. And I shook out the fold. Of my garment, and I said, So may God shake out every man from his house and from his labor who does not keep this promise, so he may be shaken out and emptied. And all the assembly said, Amen, and it praised the Lord. And the people did as they had promised. Moreover, from the time that I was appointed to be their governor in the land of Judah, from the 20th year to the 30th year of Artaxerxes the king, 12 years neither I nor my brothers ate food allowance of the governor. The former governors who were before me. They laid heavy burdens on the people. They took from them their daily ration, 40 shekels of silver. Even their servants lorded it over the people. But I did not do so because of the fear of the Lord. I preserved them the work on the wall, and we acquired no land, and all my servants were gathered there for the work. Moreover, there were at my table 150 men, Jews and officials, beside those who came to us from the nations that were around us. Now, what was prepared at my expense for each day was one ox, six choice sheep and birds, and every 10 days all kinds of wine in abundance. Yet for all this, I did not demand food allowance of the governor because of the service was too heavy on the people. Remember, for my good, oh my God, all that I've done for this people. Even in the middle of trying to do good... Even in the middle of all this, there's infighting, there's challenges now that Nehemiah is facing, where people are feeling like they're being taken advantage of. They're accusing Nehemiah of things. He's having to fix all of these problems because, man, I'll tell you, when you try to do good things for God, the enemy is going to try to rear his ugly head. And as a matter of fact, we see in the words of Christ in John chapter 6 that he says that my disciples will be known by the love that they have for one another. And we know that the enemy loves to try to find those cracks, those little places of division, those places to separate us, those places to get us to begin to look at each other differently as to to where we'll oppose one another instead of strive for Christian unity and love. And Nehemiah has to remind them, listen guys, we're, we're, we're for one another because they're having opposition from the outside and they're having opposition from the inside. And now let's look at... Uh, chapter 6 verse 1. Now when Sanballat and Tobiah and Geshem the Arab and the rest of our enemies heard that I had built the wall and there was no breach lift in it, although I had not had the time to set the doors and the gates up, Senbalat and Geshem sent to me saying, come let us meet together at Hecabipharim, your guess as good as mine, in the plain of Ono. I got that one. <laughs> You know, I could say that however I would want to say it. And most of you guys would be like, oh, that's how you pronounce that. (laughs) But they intended to do me harm. And I sent my messengers to them saying, I am doing a great work. I love this text. I am doing a great work and I cannot come down. Why should the work stop while I leave it and come down to you? I love that i love that tenacity i love that focus i love that they're saying what i'm doing nehemiah saying i'm not coming down off of this wall i'm not going to abandon my post because what i'm doing is so important i don't have time to entertain your foolishness i don't have time to sit here and deal with your 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 accusations and 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 try to come down and argue with you and fight with you no i am am doing what god has told me to do our god is bigger than any obstacle any opposition or any intimidation tactic that the enemy would try to throw at us and get us to stop amen because we work for his kingdom with an urgency with a focus there's an energy and a focus that we are supposed to have when it comes to being people who are for these cities, people that God has called, appointed for such a time as this to go out and to do his work of sharing the gospel, sharing the kingdom, doing the things he's called us to do, put us in the positions he's placed us in, put us in the roles and in the relationships that he's placed us in. And we have to stay focused because, man, the enemy is going to try to bring stuff at us. We think everybody should be celebrating with us, especially when we see God doing good things. Everybody should be cheering. Even we read last week about the guy who had been healed who was crippled outside the gate called Beautiful when Peter and John were going on their way to pray. The guy gets healed. Thousands of people are rejoicing, praising God, glorifying the name of Jesus because it was in Jesus' name this man was healed. But now there's a bunch of people, the religious leaders... They've got their arms folded. They're upset because this guy got healed. They don't like what is happening. They don't like that the name of Jesus is being preached and glorified. Because they know that this paints him in a bad light. And instead of them repenting and being humble, they instead are rejecting it. The enemy always is looking for a way to try to discourage you. The enemy is always looking for a way to try to make you feel Like when you are making some progress, when you're growing, when you're moving forward, when you're being obedient, he's always looking for a way to try to discourage you. It could be a text. It could be an email. It could be a meeting. It could be something someone says. It could be something someone said that he brings up to your remembrance. And now all of a sudden you start dwelling on that and thinking about it. And the enemy's using that in a negative way in your life to get you to dwell on that and begin to doubt what God has called you to do. And it hurts, man. Doesn't it hurt when you have that type of criticism? Criticism hurts, man. I I mean, you can get on social media and you try to post something happy and nice. And all of a sudden, somebody says, well, I don't think that's good. What do you mean? What are you doing? All of a sudden, you get in this online conversation with someone. We become thumb warriors. And now we feel we have to defend ourselves. We're getting more upset at people we've never met and will never meet. And people get really bold with their thumbs and their fingers. And they become these warriors where they're fighting for things that they think matters. And they're just being so ugly and slinging so much hate. But, but man, that can affect us. Criticism hurts. Those things can, can impact us in a way. But, but Nehemiah says, listen, what I am doing is so important to what God has created me for, called me to do, gifted me to do, anointed me to do, opened doors of favor for me to do. I, I'm not going to come down off of this ladder, off of this wall, and come down and entertain this. We have to stay focused on what he's called us to do, and we have to have that urgency. And we must help other people grow in understanding. We must help other people grow in applying the truth of the Word of God. After the walls were built, they had a dedication ceremony. And this is, this is going to be a lot of fun. Okay, just get ready for this. Um, there's some fun names in this. Uh, So if you are currently expecting a child, and you have not yet settled on a name, I would propose you just maybe follow along and take notes. Nehemiah chapter 8, so they built the walls. Verse 1, all the people gathered as one man in the square before the water gate, and they told Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses, that the Lord had commanded Israel. So Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly, both men and women, all who could understand what they heard. And this was on the first day of the seventh month. And he read from it, facing the square before the water gate from early morning till midday. That is a long sermon. I don't want to hear anything else. <laughs> In the presence of the men and women and all those who could understand. Now now, now pick up on this, all right? He, he's reading and explaining the scripture to all those who could understand. This is beautiful here. I want you to get this. And the ears of all the people were attentive to the book of the law. Ezra the scribe stood on a wooden platform that they had made for this purpose. And beside him stood Mattithiah, Shema, Ananiah, Uriah, Hilkiah, and Mesiah on his right hand, and Pediah and Mishael, and Malkijah, and Hashem, and Hashem, and Zechariah, and Meshelam on the left hand, and Ezra opened the book, whoo, made it, Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people, for he was above all the people, he opened it, and all the people stood, that's where we get the tradition of maybe you've gone to a church where, you know, they'll stand um, when the scripture's read, um, this is a scripture where uh, people will, will derive that practice from, Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God, and all the people answered, amen, amen, lifting up their hands, and they bowed their heads and worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground. Also, all of these other people with fun names, amen. they remained in their places. They read from the book of the law of God clearly, and look, look at this, look at this last part, and they gave the sense so that the people understood the reading. It's not just one thing to read it. God wants us to understand his word, Amen. And now let's look at what happened as a result. Chapter 9, let's read these first three verses. And Nehemiah who was the governor and Ezra the priest and scribe and Levites who taught the people and said to all the people, this day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep for all the people wept as as they heard the words of the law. I'm sorry, Verse chapter 9. I kept reading. Um, Then on the 24th day of this month, the people of Israel were assembled with fasting and in sackcloth and with earth on their heads so they dirt on their head the israelites separated themselves from all foreigners and stood and confessed their sins and the iniquities of their fathers and they stood up in their place they read from the book of the law of the god of their god for a quarter of the day and for another quarter they made confession and they worshiped the lord their god look at what happened people were reading the scripture and people were giving understanding to it. They were helping people understand the Word of God. They were helping those who didn't know what it meant to understand it. Listen, when that begins to happen, when we begin to not just be hearers of the Word, but doers of the Word, making disciples, sharing it with other people so that they too can understand it, life change begins to take place. And this is what's going on. They're, they're reacting to it. What, what's their reaction? I need to repent. I, I, this is what they're hearing. I, I have to repent. Oh my goodness, I'm hearing the word of the Lord and I have to repent. And then they're like, they're so hungry for the things of God that now they're reading from the scripture for a fourth of the day. And they're praying and repenting and worshiping for another fourth of the day. Literally half of their day is spent either in hearing the scriptures being read, explaining the scriptures and understanding it, or repenting and in worship. The people recognize their sin. They repent. They pray. They worship. They honor God. It was renewal. It was revival. It was a return to the heart of God. This is what happens when we began to be for these cities. This is what happens when we began to recognize what God has called us to do. Pray. Have a burden. Begin to share the word of God. Begin to. Disciple people, help them understand it. Stay focused, not get distracted or discouraged when the enemy tries to come in, but stay focused and keep moving with an urgency. Not giving time and voice to criticism. Here's our big idea for, the, for today for us to be for these cities, we must have a gospel centered, eternal focused lens and a heart that desires to glorify God. That's what we must have. We must have that gospel centered, eternal focused lens. And that focus will lead you and I, much like Nehemiah, to pray, to grieve, to be bold, to be urgent and focused because you begin to care about what God cares about. And that's really the transition that takes place in our hearts, that we begin to care about what God cares about. So we begin to be for these cities because God is for these cities. Much like in Nehemiah's day, people didn't understand Much like in our day, people are misinterpreting, mistaking scripture. We must understand and and help those who don't understand understand by experiencing the love of God and then teaching and sharing with them the truth of God's word. This is why we must be diligent to learn the word of God so we can grow deeper in our convictions, so we can be more equipped, ready to live these things out and share these things. I love these quad cities and these surrounding smaller cities and towns and villages. I have a burden for this area And it's increasing the more that I pursue the heart of God. It's increasing the more I think about eternity, the more I think about the Great Commission, and I remind myself of the gospel. This passion grows in me. This priority grows in me. And here's what else is growing. My boldness begins to increase. My need and my understanding of prayer begins to increase. And I start to love people more. And I'm getting much less judgy. I find myself sitting in certain coffee shops. Certain people may walk in. People that maybe I would have been really quick to judge before. Now my my heart feels differently towards those people. I see people dressed a certain way, talking a certain way, laughing about certain things, and I would used to look at them and be like, "How dare they? What is their problem?" And now I'm looking at them differently, and I'm going, "That person needs the love and truth of Jesus." God's changing. He's changing me, and I I hope he's changing you too as your heart is being reoriented for these cities and for all people. You see, when I start to love our our cities more, I start to love BCC more. I start to love our congregation more, love our church more. I get a little clearer on what God's called us to do, and that's this growing clarity, this boldness that's gonna be required, this, this focus that's gonna be required. The pursuit of the heart of God is going to bring clarity, compassion, and urgency to what He's called you to do. So if you're like, man, I don't know what God's called me to do, just keep pursuing the heart of God. Can I tell you that? I, I know that sounds overtly simple, but keep pursuing the heart of God. And then all of a sudden the stuff you've been doing for a long time is going to start making sense in a different way. Stuff that maybe you just thought was normal. Stuff that you had just gotten in a habit and a rhythm of. It just now suddenly you see it differently. The pursuit of the heart of God is going to bring clarity. It's going to bring compassion. It's going to bring urgency to what he's called you to do. So here's my challenge to us today as a church. Let's pursue the heart of God and watch what he does in unifying us, in strengthening us, and giving us clarity and focus. And let's agree to make our priority the priority of heaven, to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And then all these other things man we've been so worried about we, we've been misprioritizing those things will just fall into place man let's seek first the priority of heaven and let's be for these cities and for all people so father help us to do this today help us to take from the story about nehemiah and what he went through and the challenges and how you revealed the plan for him may we learn how you can use us and work in us as you help us to pray and be led to places of prayer, led to places of concern, led to places of action, and how we can stay focused, Lord, in the middle of things that the enemy would love to discourage us. We pray you use us for your kingdom, for your glory, in Jesus' name.